Hi, this is Shelly here, host of Reads and Weeds. If you're enjoying the show, please like, share, rate, and review. It really does help. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Reads and Weeds. This is Shelly Smith, and uh, this is the show where we uh, smoke weed and read books and talk about it. And I did it so that I could hang out with my friends and have really good conversations. And uh, this book... This book we're reading today, Stay Sexy, Don't Get Murdered, by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. And we're so excited. If you already love the book, then you're a murderino. And if you have never heard of it, it was written by uh, the two hosts and creators of this hugely popular podcast called My Favorite Murder. And uh, the way I heard about My Favorite Murder was there was a huge show in Detroit, sold out shows, two shows back to back, and Lauren couldn't make it. And I was like, I've never heard of this, but I'll go with our mutual friend, Megan. Had not heard of it. We get to downtown Detroit and there's mobs of people wrapped around the building and I thought what in the world these are just two women talking about like cold cases and they're like oh my god yes you're gonna love it so we go to the show it's fantastic and that's when I realized that I'm listening to you know uh, an amazing comedy writer and a tv host they're both very funny comedians and they're truly passionate about true crime and that you know the whole community that they created wasn't just people who love true crime but it was sort of a feminist empowerment and uh, it was this whole community of murderinos so Paul is a murderino and we're saying hey you know everybody's going to be Jones in because my favorite murder is taking a break mm. And so we should read the book and talk about it because everybody's showing <laughs> Um So uh, I'm going to tell you who I'm with here. Um, and these are all murderinos. And uh, first, sitting on the couch with me, uh, Paul Gordon, say hello. Oh, yeah. Hi. How are you doing? Hey. A pleasure to be here. Yep. You may have seen him on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, not the film, the uh, episode we the did episode. about the book. Yeah, I just want to be clear <laughs> about Say that's that. on your IMDb? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. No, yeah. not at all. No. But we just kind of drew it in the way Trump did with that storm front. We just kind of did it that way. <laughs> I keep a bunch of Sharpies in my drew pocket for just that emergency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was also on the Mycophilia episode. Yeah, that's what we talked about Fantastic Fungi. Yeah. Those yeah. good times. Yeah. And so uh, also on the episode tonight is Miss Lauren Bridges. It's been a while since Lauren's been here. Hi. Um, well, I've known Shelly for 20 years. I don't know. It seems like it's been a long time. And we do have to, I do have to give credit to Megan Esseltine Hathaway because she convinced me to start listening to yes. the podcast. She knew I would love it because we have been murderinos for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I live outside Chicago now. Yeah, I just got my master's in forensic psychology because I quit my job and I'm going to get a clinical PhD in psychology starting August 30th. Are you serious? Congratulations. Well, I mean, this podcast started, I don't know, about five years ago or so, and it actually started a lot of personal growth for me. I think it it talks a lot about like mental health and, and how you manage anxiety, but also like I've always been so obsessed with like true crime and the darkness in life as a way to manage 
my own things, and it really did propel me um, to kind of, you know, pitter patter, <laughs> go and get it. <laughs> I would say. Shit, girl, we gotta talk. That's a you're one of uh, so many stories that you'll hear about. Of course, that we've all heard about on the podcast as regular listeners. Uh, people who write in uh, with big fat fucking hoorays, which of course that is for right. you, Lauren. Big yeah. fat fucking hooray for you. Yeah. Uh, about people who've taken up uh, life in criminal justice uh, as a profession because of the podcast, the inspiration that these uh, two incredibly just yeah. bizarre and wonderful personalities. Have yeah, no, for sure. I mean, way back in the day um, when I was in college at Michigan, I actually I taught in prison. So like that was sort of my first interaction. Um, I found it incredibly fulfilling work. Social justice has always been a big part of my my values. Um, and I kind of got away from that working in corporate America and <laughs> soulless what? stuff. And uh, yeah, crazy, right? Like they first I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I want to hear about Angie. And I know your name's not Mike. Bob, it's Allison. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, Angie uh, has done a bunch of shows with me and she, she just, she's like the light of my life, you guys. <laughs> Angie had not heard of uh, my favorite murder. And okay. then I got her to read this book and she was very excited. Um, no, she borrowed it from Allison. So yes, introduce yourself. So actually I've never even listened to the podcast. So I'm sorry, I apologize. Um, <laughs> I think it's a good control. Well here's, the, well, here's the thing, like, I have been on multiple podcasts, I did my own for a while, um, and I don't listen to other podcasts, because I'm an elitist. No. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, You're uh, a Karen. No, just I just get, I get so, like, I just get so distracted, because to me, it's just, I don't know, it's just like a person just talking and talking and talking, and I'm just like, okay. Like, it's such a one-sided thing for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had a brownie and a bowl, so you'll have to hear what (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so um, I've never never listened to the podcast. So it was really cool to, like, read the book and um, get a feel for, like, who they are because I've heard of them. You know, everybody talks about them. Allison, you know, I'm at her house daily because I watch that Angel Baby. Um, and so I, you know, I've always known that she was, she's a murderino. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I, you know, but I didn't really, I just never listened. Um, but I love true crime. Um, I love murders. Um, and I love the book. Like it was really, really fucking amazing. Like it was so Georgia, man, <laughs> Georgia. Like, I feel like I, like, I, like I was reading her stories and I was like, I feel like she just like walked inside of my brain and like picked out different memories of mine. and was like, I'm going to write this down. Oh, yeah. 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 A lot of that. So it was really cool. Yeah. That's okay. awesome. And we've got a first timer, you guys. We got a first timer. Hey. <laughs> Allison Bobby. Thank you for yeah, having me. I even me. had your hubby on here. Yeah. Back when John O'Donnell's in town. Hey, Murderino, tell us what's yeah. up. Yeah. I read this book because I am a Murderino and I've listened to the podcast since I think I got into it around episode 30. Um, one of my friends from work, her name is also Lauren, um, was like, 
I've been listening to this podcast. I think you're really going to like it. And I was like, all right. So I listened and I was like immediately hooked. I downloaded every episode. So I really love it. It really helped me focus on my mental health a lot more. There's a certain amount of like stigma attached to, you know, mental health these days still. I kind of grew up like feeling that from around me, just, you know, friends, family, whatever. I feel like since I started listening to it, I was like, no, I need to like go to therapy too. You can't just take a pill. And it just really made me reevaluate how I was approaching my mental health. (laughs) Thank you. I feel better than I have in years. So that's been, and I, I love true crime. I used to watch unsolved mysteries when I'd stay home from school. So (laughs) I love the podcast and I, I love the book. I, I felt I felt seen a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like everybody under the age of like, I don't know, 45 uh, has Robert Stack's voice just kind of going on a losing path after having seen every single episode of Unsolved Mysteries, even just vicariously. You could not walk around for about 10 years without that being on TV in somebody's house Mm -hmm. all the time. Well, now you can watch the old episodes still on like, I think it's... I don't remember. Is it Netflix, Hulu? What yeah, it's Netflix because they did a reboot. Like, the, yeah. you know, the, yeah. Yeah. So that trench coat. Oh, the trench coat with the fog. Yeah, yes. they still yeah. have like um, like an image of him in the opening credits. Like, pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> I have to let my dog in, so just pardon me. I'll be right okay. back. Okay. So this small world thing where, and Mike probably, does Mike know Vince? He does, actually. Um, so Georgia... Yeah, Georgia Hardstark is married to Vince Averill, who is a comedian from, well, he's he's from Monroe, I believe, but he came up in Ann Arbor, and yeah. Mike knows him, they're buddies, um, and actually, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this or not, but Mike texted Vince when they were in town last and got my friend and I backstage <laughs> after the show. Ooh. That's so funny. I knew that Shelly knew Vince. That's why I was like, this is incredible. Oh, yeah. 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 He and Marty Marty used to be good friends, too. Mm -hmm. We were all at the, like, literally, I've probably been at the Heidelberg in Ann Arbor with Mike and Marty and Vince. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Yeah, that was the place to go. It was what we did. It's Mm -hmm. it's, uh, 100,000 years ago. So um, (laughs) I'll tell you guys the notes, things I've jotted down, just so you can see where I'm headed. And then if there's other things that you don't think I'm going to get to, write them down. Okay? So fuck politeness. What what did we learn from our mothers about what a woman's supposed (laughs) to be? Um, Ray Bradbury. Uh, the hot tub drunk party analogy, self-care is not about you, and the alderman, victim blaming. So is it okay if we start with the concept of fuck politeness? Yeah. Yeah. No, it isn't okay. Fuck politeness if you don't like it. Yeah. I've pretty much been living by that since before I could say the words. <laughs> oh hey, i haven't been like i um i was always brought up as like you know you just smile you say hello like if someone says something that makes you uncomfortable just smile and so the concept of like don't fucking tell me to smile don't tell me if i put on makeup i'll look prettier or, or whatever or like don't fe- worry about hurting someone's feelings when they're being fucking creepy like it's all pretty new to me and um i'm really embracing it i love it 
Um, I wish I knew about it sooner, but I'm glad that I made it this far. So uh, no you, worse for the wear. <laughs> do you feel like, do you feel like reading the book and like kind of quote unquote, getting to know like Georgia and Karen through the book and through the podcast, do you feel like it's kind of given you like the strength that you need or the okay to, to be like that? Or do you, are you still kind of a little tentative? I feel like it's really made me realize, oh no, like I'm not the only one who felt like this is kind of bullshit that I have to put up with some guy walking up to me at work and saying, um, hi, I'm 60 years old and I would love to take you out to dinner sometime. And, oh, I'm at work. So I have to be nice. Like, no, I've, I've been very happy about, um, knowing that I'm not alone being like, this is creepy, right? Like somebody should do something like I shouldn't have to put up with this. So I really embraced it when I was like, oh, thank God. I'm not the only one who feels this way yeah. or who thinks that it, I don't have to do it. You know, like it's not up to me to be polite when someone's being a fucking asshole or being right. super creepy. Absolutely. I think women are absolutely conditioned in society mm -hmm. right like it's a huge problem you know? um, exactly what i was just thinking like we've all come up in this society for so long and it's just now uh and it's taking people who are you know by and large nearing a half century mark of their lives finally coming out and saying you know what it's it's not okay that you think my dress is nice and nobody asked you what you thought of my dress yeah it's not okay that you are leering at that girl across the bus and everybody's visibly uncomfortable from it. Knock mm -hmm. it the fuck off everyone. And that's yeah. fuck politeness. It's not, it's not fucking politeness in general. Everyone of course should be polite and kind whenever chance they get. But when the opportunity arises to point out something that is off, we should not ever feel stigmatized or weird for uh saying something about it if you see yeah something, say something like don't, don't be afraid sense. to make a scene we shouldn't be right. afraid to make a no, scene make because a i'll make a big ass scene it's so, a boundary is what it is. it is and i think some of us are coming into uh awareness of what our boundaries are and that yes we should have them and, and it's okay for you to have them yeah. because a lot of us and I'm, I'm i'm just only speaking for myself personally like i didn't have boundaries i was raised without them um and then when people continually violate your boundaries um in a number of ways that's where that sort of comes from right that sort of like codependency like I'm going to be a people pleaser and I'll do whatever, you know, in this situation and I'll, you know, or I'll, I'll charm the pants out of you. And, and, you know, so we can deescalate the situation, but man, like you mentioned, like some, a dude like leering on the bus, like that is like a nice idea, but usually it's like a guy jerking off or touching yeah, you yeah. or like, <laughs> like <laughs> doing something super gross. And you're like, Oh, like, you know, like it's, it's yeah, that kind of stuff, you know? I mean, I don't, Yes, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Paul, as as a male, I was not jerking off on the bus, Angie. If you were going to ask, I just want to fucking Paul. We me. know it was you. It wasn't me. I'm shaggy on this one. It wasn't me. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so as a male, um, when somebody, when a when a female 
I mean, I, I can't imagine you being the creepy guy. And you just did say that you weren't the one jerking off on the bus. So thank you. You, you but, didn't know me at 18, but even 18-year-old Paul didn't jerk off on the bus. I want to be clear good. about that. Thank you. I, I, I'm happy to hear that. If, um, so when a female, when a female, if a female um, has to get rude with you, like, how do you, like, how do you respond? What do you do as a male? How does that make you feel? Uh, I, what happens? I, I'm certain that it has definitely happened in my life, but it's been so long, I I, I cannot contextualize that for you, okay. thankfully. Like, I haven't had to get put in check in quite some time. Uh, and I only know that because you've asked me the question. It's not like I'm over here like, no, man, look at me. I'm cool. Right. I'm like, no, no. 300 days since something yes, happened. <laughs> well, that hasn't happened for 25 years. <laughs> Oops, we're back to zero. Oh, Paul no. fucked right up years. last night. Oh, my goodness. No. New tally. Uh, okay. <laughs> but now to, to put it in a context that I can't relate to in this moment, like, uh, we're not perfect. I'm, I'm still learning. I grew up in an incredibly misogynistic, patriarchal, racist society. I'm still climbing out of that shit. Wait, I mean, time out. I need to point something out. Uh, Fowlerville resident Lauren. <laughs> yeah. Meet Howell resident. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so that's like, yeah. Do we have anybody from Cahokta to join us? Well, no, see, I'm I'm right by Cahokta, technically. Cahokta was the township that's yeah. right by Fowlerville. And for um, the listeners, viewers, and other folks here, that, that's that's where the Grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan at one that's time true. was located. Um, I actually was talking to another friend who grew up in a very rural Minnesota town, and and we were look, comparing our Wikipedia's earlier, and I I think it said something like Fowlerville is ninety eight point nine percent white yes, <laughs> and when i grew up it was 100 percent white um, yes, yeah. yeah and it was yeah. very rough i saw the kkk war. march when i was working at the coffee shop in howell because yeah. it was right by the and it That's disgusted true. me i mean it's the worst yeah yeah we, we had a total of uh four brown kids in our high school in howell we of course we were the largest school in the county uh, as the mm -hmm. county seat, we took in a lot of the rural areas. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was it was bound to happen. But uh, nobody was mean to them because they're all a bunch of cowards. So they all picked on the fringe white kids. And like the, the thing about it is like uh, uh, the, the, the black brother and sister who were in town, uh, she was beautiful and the biggest smile and was never mean to anybody. And Rob, same thing, smile, smile, smile. And they just smiled their way through it and nobody bothered them at all. Uh, and then uh, the Cunninghams were, of course, that's a very Irish-British name, but their mother was of uh, Latinx descent. So uh, the, but nobody picked on them because they were cool and knew how to fix cars. Oh. <laughs> so it's like well, I'm sure they had some. Crazy, I'm sure they had some experiences that happened in reverse. It was so really strange. I want to. I want to steer back to fuck politeness because we're talking about small towns, and I'm thinking about what we're taught. It's kind of leading into what we're taught from our mothers. Absolutely, in my yeah. opinion. So mm -hmm. I remember um, several times in my life because when I was thinking, when I was re-listening to the first few chapters this morning, I was think, rem reminding myself like most of my push towards doing uncomfortable things did not come from males, it came from females who were like, they wanted, they wanted me to do things. They wanted me, they wanted to push me. You know what I mean? They wanted me to have sex. They wanted me to 
take drugs, you know what I mean? The girlfriends. And I remember thinking, where did that come from? What the fuck was up with that? You know, why were they trying to be, they were trying to be cool and that's what they were trying to do. And the polite thing for me, did you know that I was thinking back at like, that is when you are afraid to say you don't like something because it's rude. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You yeah. have mm-hmm. to eat that thing. Or someone or, so, yeah. Yeah, or that someone. And yeah. I remember several times my mom saying, like, you have to be friends with that boy because he's from that nice family. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to. You know, and even in, like, college, I remember her saying, like, so-and-so's son is going to the Citadel, and he's a really nice guy. And Red flag, go into the Citadel. And, uh, yeah. and, and she was like, so, you know, we're going to set you guys up so you guys can be friends, and, you know, he'll be someone that you can kind of have there, and... You know, and I was like, no, I mean, this is so uncomfortable. And, yeah. and and the idea that she was like, well, he's a handsome man from a good family. I'm like, yeah, but I don't like it. I don't yeah. like it. And it was so yeah. uncomfortable to say even like, I, I don't like that was so, it was considered like, well, you're being ugly. You're being <laughs> ugly. What a Southern thing to say. Oh my gosh. Oh, my mom ugly. would say I was being ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think Southern, like, fucking Southern politeness is a whole nother level. Oh, well, God. and that's what I was going to say, too. Like, how, yeah. I wonder how different it is, the the politeness scale or something. I don't know. Um, I'm sorry. Eat, girl. I am starving. I got a real Michigan snack over here. It's pickled bologna with cheese. Oh, my God. Wow. Talk about things your mother put into you. That's what my mother put into me. So nice. much pickled bologna. Yeah, some Fago red pop to, yes. to, <laughs> to, yeah. to rinse it down. Yeah. Random <laughs> gods. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say, I wonder how different, I wonder how different it was um, for Shelly being a Southern girl as opposed to us, you know, Midwestern girls who, yeah, we were told, you know, you got to be friends with that person because they're poor or, you know, and they don't have any friends or you have to do this. You have to sit on grandpa's lap because he's old and he thinks you're cute and, you know, weird shit, whatever. But, but, you know, so we were dealing with it too up here, but I wonder how, I wonder how different it was for, for you as a Southern girl. Maybe it wasn't different at all. I don't know. I think it just sounds different. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it. I, I think it is. I've met your and I, I've met your mom, and I know you. But I think that there's a whole different culture of how you present and how you're nice, and there's a whole etiquette thing, and like, it's a whole situation, and where you're literally taught like you're not allowed to trust your intuition, your gut. Like, ah, that guy gives me the creeps, you know, like, uh, I think his hobbies are date rape, <laughs> like, you know, and, but like, and not, and like, you're, be, you're taught, like, to not trust yourself, like, that you're not, like, whatever, you, your uncle you're Earl not have, yeah, you're not allowed to have your own feelings, go sit on that creep's lap over there, because, you know, for whatever reason, yeah. So, so listeners, I just want to tell you why we keep saying fuck politeness is, because, I think it's the first chapter name, but they're Georgia and Karen are both telling stories. Georgia's is kind of how her need to not make someone else feel uncomfortable almost got her in trouble following this photographer. 
<laughs> she got into a car with. She thought he was like a nice guy at the diner, and she went out into the woods with him. Tell the story of how immediately she knew it was a bad idea, but she should have just said, I don't want to get in the car, I feel terrible, and she knew that, but she didn't do it. And um, she didn't do it mainly because of the same reason why a lot of us don't do something. It's just we don't want to make that other person feel slightly uncomfortable. So they're talking about fuck politeness is kind of a let's undo what we were taught about what we're allowed to say and how we're allowed to express ourselves because it's kind of warped. And I was talking about it. I was at this trim job today. I'm with all these women trimming weed and they're between the ages of 23 and like 55. Right. And I start talking about this idea of fuck politeness and every single one of them had a, this weird thing happened to me when I was a child and I told my family, but they said, we can't embarrass that man in this town. You mm. can't talk about that. Every one of them had a version of something like that. All of them were like, oh, I have a story about when I wasn't allowed to say this thing, which caused this thing to happen. It was, so if this is the first you've heard of this concept. Get on board. <laughs> I have to say, so Shelly, this is like deep niche, but we had a regular at the Firefly who was like a pretty wealthy guy, and he actually was taking photography classes. I, I, I pulled an absolute Georgia. Like, do you remember? Like, but here's the thing. So he actually was really nice, and he he lived in one of those crazy houses in Ann Arbor that was like multi-million dollars. And I had no idea. He really was just like a nice regular at our bar. But I was like 22 years old and I went alone to his house for him to take pictures of me. The good news is they're really good pictures. I'll tell you in a minute. And I, I have that forever and he and I got out of it unscathed. But like that's not the story. That's I'm going to go get this picture. I'm really proud of it. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah. pictures are good and happy. Right. Okay, okay. So I want to, one thing I'm curious about from y'all is what did you learn from your mothers? Because they both take time. This was very interesting thought for me. Like both of them took the time. Like, to just, oh, yeah, girl. Yeah, girl. I remember that shit. That's, I remember that shit. That's better than a glamour shot. That was awesome. uh, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So good. I still I save it for my son. I was like, someday you'll want this. What your mom looks <laughs> yeah, like. My mama was. But I can't put it up on the wall. I was like, who hangs up pictures of themselves like that? Yeah. Uh, uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, not me. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Edge. I didn't see your hand up. I wouldn't have made the joke. I would not have made the joke. Okay, so they, they both tell these great stories about their mothers and what they learned from their mothers. And their mothers were both like very influential. Karen talks about, there's this great story where Karen talks about when she knew her mother was a badass, she had to get the aspirin from the waitress, and they did mm -hmm. it over, like the waitress said, we, we can't give that to you, and her mother said, oh, that's too bad, I'll have the soup, or whatever she said, but <laughs> she watched her, like, covertly get the anison or whatever from her server, and she realized, like, oh, my mom takes no shit, you know. I that that's what she learned. And she knows the trick. She's got hacks. Mom's got to figure it out. Oh yeah. Wow. Mom's mom's manipulative too. Yeah. I was curious with y'all, like, from observing your mother, what did you learn? Even if you've unlearned it at this point, right? 
but what did you initially learn from your mother that you were reminded of reading this? Mm. I guess I learned from my mom, like similarly to the waitressing story that, you know, sometimes you just have to go for it. But also like I learned that, I don't know, that hardness, I guess that I have, like I really learned that from her. Like she was always very like blunt and to the point she was also very, very strong. And so if she wanted something, she just would kind of go and do it. Um, so I did learn a lot of that from her. And then I also, most importantly, learned that just because you have the same blood doesn't mean that you have to be family. And just because you're, you're blood related doesn't necessarily mean that there's a love between the two of you. And that's going to be okay. Because there's going to be other people around that are going to be motherly and they're gonna love you in the way that your mother should and that's okay that's a nice thing to say angie yes yeah thanks i learned from my mother right around uh 13 years old that jesus christ is lord <laughs> and uh is the answer to all things and if i just put my trust in him i'm gonna be just fine that's what i learned <laughs> and then i, then I of course you, had to unlearn like that like so many other things because my mother definitely was uh uh not a politeness fucker she uh she was she made love to politeness she was all about making sure to keep up appearances and now, a lot of that had to do with uh, trying to get by as the poor folks in town and a lot of different layers to that. But uh, yeah, I, I had to figure out that on my own that like, trying to fit in is the worst possible thing you can do because yeah. my mother taught me to just mm-hmm. do that and it was the wrong thing. Yeah, I feel like my mom kind of taught me how to be a people pleaser, which means you take a lot of shit and don't really get anything out of it you kind of like take the uncomfortable and the crappy from other people and you just hold that yourself and Mm, you shove it right down inside you just yeah right Mm. down and you You just smile like everything's fine (laughs) i ate um, mine with several sandwiches yeah so i i mean my mom she's still a people pleaser like to this day which means she deals with a lot of unhappiness. I think if anything I took from that is that I, I have to speak up for myself when it's important and even when it's not important. You know, I have to raise my expectations a little bit of other people. So even though her example wasn't perfect, whose is, um, I think that I learned how to expect more from other people from her because she was always such a people pleaser and kind of taught me how to be one too and fortunately we're kind of in this time right now where people are like listen you don't get to hold everybody's negative emotions so they don't have to deal with it like Mm-hmm. people have to deal with their own shittiness you don't have to take that on yourself oh girl amen sister <laughs> no that's that's a beautiful beautiful thing i'm proud of you girl i really um appreciate that sentiment because 
I, I feel like uh, in five years, I had no, like, I've always had my mother on, on a pe- pedestal. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, mm. all I am is so codependent. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I am uh, a workaholic type A, like all I try and get my my validation from all these other things. And it's like, it was the first time in my life I was like, oh, I learned a lot of bad habits from my mom. And then, like, you start to, like, you know, I was in therapy, right, through all of this. But, like, yeah, you therapy. start to peel. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, Peel back the layers. And then you start, like, pulling up pieces of the family tree. And you're like, oh, well, that's rotten, too. And then that is. So also realizing, like, you didn't have a great example either, you yeah. know. And I idolized my grandmother, my grandfather, was a homicide detective in Detroit. They were a big Irish Catholic family. My mom was the oldest of 10, and she, like, practically raised all those kids. Guess what? I ended up doing the same thing, being, like, a, a little parent, too. You know, so it's, like, all those sorts of things. And, like, so at first it's, like, managing that anger. But, like, I'm so fortunate that I was able to come to that realization and, like, go through that and then still, like, work through it, have forgiveness, still have a relationship understand the empathy there too because fucking politeness to me definitely means learning what boundaries are and that I don't have to do anything to please you yeah I I have to learn to please myself and Mm -hmm. and that's the most important thing and if something in your gut is telling you that that's bad or wrong it's probably for a good reason trust your intuition trust yourself you can make good judgment calls Lauren has been this person in my life where I will be going, there's this friend that I have that sort of didn't show up. And Lauren's like, fuck that guy. (laughs) Get him out of your life. You're a hero. He sucks. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, it's not always healthy, though, to be like what we call like hyper vigilant, right? So like, like, not trusting anyone and like after like so I mean I'm guilty of kind of being a little yeah a little (laughs) overdoing it a little you have helped me just making up for lost time (laughs) you have you helped me when I first met you at the Firefly Club meeting you and Megan I was like oh okay like you guys had a different already kind of like strength as people than I did perception of, of your place in the world. It was very interesting. Megan is truly one of the strongest people I've ever met. And I oh, am yeah. so fortunate. She's um she grew up in Fowlerville too, Paul. We just had lunch with them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she knew that, like that yeah. we knew each other since high school. Um, and then we went to college together, but like, so, but she is one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. So I'm very fortunate for her friendship. Lauren, you mentioned that, that, that was indeed a very tactful explanation of your uh, experience with your mother. Uh, but I have to fully admit, I, all I want to hear now is the, uh, the, the, the non-tactful version. Just lay it out. Just go ahead. Just give it to us. I'm still Nick, learning about on. tact. Come on. Uh, what's that? How do I... Well, yeah, I don't want to. Am I breaking up? Never mind. Oh no, no, no! Yeah. I think there's a point, and seriously, I think there's a point in your life where you open your eyes for the first time, and you're like, "Oh, you are not the hero of the story." What the fuck? Like, you know, like you're just like, I think yeah. that yeah. 
I don't know. And maybe I was sensing some of the other folks on the, the call had the same realization. Like, you know, oh. I loved her. I, like, I never saw a single bad thing that she ever did because that's how skilled she was <laughs> at manipulating me sure. <laughs> for years. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, she lives a mile away. From, I love my mother. Don't get me wrong. I, my other mother, who I am really fortunate for, is my therapist, Janet. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> she's helped me get through this and so it's like one of those things where i don't know hurt people hurt people that's another oh, good yeah. that's a good yeah, adage yeah. real guilty people don't always do the right thing actually you you, you really can't good. always believe in that and so i don't know like <laughs> it's a lot of feelings but you know but there's light on the other side of it i think right like you can yeah. also decide to like cut people off if they're not serving you mm-hmm. or you can decide there's a lot of decisions that you get to make and just because um angie you mentioned this just because your family doesn't mean that you have to um be together all the time i have like four family members that i talk to regularly mm-hmm. no wait five and three of them are my children so i hear you there i like, hear you there you know i I had to make the decision to finally say I'm done because I couldn't keep hurting, you know? And I felt like that, but like for some reason, I also kind of needed somebody else to tell me that that was okay. And thankfully, I believe it was Martin who, you know, it was Christmas time. And he was like, you don't have to go to your grandmother's house for Christmas. You are going to be miserable. You're going to be anxious the week beforehand. You are going to be a just a disaster of a human the day of. Then you have a two-hour drive, and then you have to sit with these people for six hours. He's like, "Why are you doing this? Why? Tell me why." And I was like, "No reason. I don't have politeness." So I had to to finally just say, "I, I, I'm not going to do this anymore." There's some family members who I will still see and who I still talk to, and we will do it on my terms when i'm comfortable mm-hmm. when you when you get these these family members who think that they have some sort of entitlement to you because they've birthed you or because they've grown up with you whatever the case may be fuck yourself man like no no i don't need it so i just finally said i'm done and yeah. i was done that and was it's been the up. greatest thing to ever happen in my entire life because i just it's nothing. It's it feels so that's good wonderful to write yeah. off all in my in my case anyway Judeo Christian holidays. I just I wrote them off. Uh, I told all of my fans like, look, I just don't do this anymore. Yeah, y'all, y'all yeah. do you? I'm not coming. Don't invite me. Don't expect me to show up. I'm tired of doing things that other people expect me to do mm-hmm. that I have no interest or belief in, and I refuse to propagate it anymore. Hey, I'd love to have lunch sometime. Guess what never comes? The lunch invitation. Right. You know? No, I, I hear that. I, I'm sorry. I'm busy on 25th of December doing jack shit. Right. Eating doing? Chinese food. Duh. Yeah, word. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I wanna say one thing about my mom before I forget it, because it sort of, I was, I was feeling really lucky today, re-listening to the first part of the book, because I didn't, I'm really thankful that I didn't grow up in the um, sort of selfie era, right? I'm thankful all the time that I did not grow up because 
I, I didn't, from a small town, I just didn't feel as much pressure as I feel like a lot of people talk about when they talk about their high school or whatever. I was like, I don't know if we had like the rich kids and the da 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 because we were just too rural and strange. You know what I mean? There was a couple of people that might have had some money. I, I don't know, but it would, I didn't feel that kind of pressure. But what I did feel um, was my mom really expected me to want to be more girly, you know? And I think <laughs> that kind of, I'm not a fit with this. Like, at, I felt like that was very disappointing as the only girl in the family. I, I was like, I don't understand why you want me to like eyeshadow. And I don't understand why you want me to like this boy at the high school. And I don't understand. And kind of keeping that real for me, like every once in a while, I'd be like, maybe I'm that girl who wears eyeshadow and likes that boy. But it was not true. You know, it was, I'm doing this because you're creating the image of what you think your daughter should be like. And I'm realizing that I'm not fitting into it, you know, and that's like a forever kind of thing of going, oh, no, I know this is the way you want me to be, but I'm being like this instead. And that is very interesting to me because my mom was was like a little Jansen swimsuit model and, and she was the majorette of the high school and she was very you know her beauty was celebrated I guess and um but I didn't have that feeling that they talk about of like I have to be perfect I need to take diet pills I'm do, do you know what I'm saying like somehow I got the you're supposed to be pretty and more feminine without getting an eating disorder do you know what I mean I knew a lot of people with eating disorders I think you're mom, lucky. I'm really lucky, but I remember my mom, uh, there were all these after-school specials, you know, all the time oh. the, when I was growing up. So she always thought I was anorexic or something. And I'm just like, I'm not. I'm just getting really tall really fast, you know, like I can't keep up with food. But I'm curious with I don't know. That kind of went all over the place because I was thinking about what I learned from my mother, but I also started thinking about how much they talked about their self-image, you know what I mean, and how that's changed from 13 to 38 or wherever, you know, they are individually. What are your thoughts on that from growing up and how did you deal with the image that you thought you were supposed to be eating, what other people thought of you, that kind of thing? <laughs> so I remember my brother started playing hockey at one point and I wanted to play hockey too, but my parents were like, no, you should figure skate, which I did love. Like I really enjoyed it. But the fact that they immediately were like, no, hockey's not for girls. I mean, oh yeah, I really had, um, like, and as like a little kid, like two years old, I never wanted to wear clothes. Like I just wanted to be in a diaper. <laughs> why like every picture of me from around that time I'm just in a diaper same still <laughs> and yeah. like I I remember like I know it's stuff that like my parents got from their parents because my grandmothers used to lose their minds whenever they would come over and be like why is she why isn't she wearing something <laughs> like my my mom's mom would buy me all these beautiful dresses and I'd keep them on for like 15 20 minutes and then I'd just be like wow like it was all over. 
Sounds like I mean, you were being like little Allison was really like free. Though. I was. I mean, like you just did what you wanted. I did. So it's I about very... the moment where that stopped. Yeah, that kind of stopped around middle school. I had toxic friends, and then I was also, I mean, going through puberty super hard, and you just feel awkward and weird and you know, I, I didn't feel pretty and I didn't know anything about makeup and I, oh God, I, oh, what a disaster. <laughs> like I just, and all I wanted was for people to leave me alone. And I felt like if people left me alone, it would be because I was popular. Like no one would get on me about image. If I was just popular, like people would bother me if I was a nerd which is what they were doing. But I mean, it doesn't really matter either way. Like someone's going to have thoughts about you. So my self-image was so low. I just, I didn't think I was pretty enough. I didn't think I was smart enough. I, I just never felt very good about myself. And, you know, part of it was being a people pleaser all the time. You know, you can't please everyone all the time. So someone getting mad at me was like, devastating and I just I felt so bad about myself for so long like I feel like even through college I was like like I wasn't thin enough or I wasn't you know pretty enough or you know I (laughs) I I wasn't impressing the guy I liked you know I was being too needy or whatever not needy enough it was oh such an awkward awkward sad time like and I'm glad that I'm through it now and I've realized my worth but yeah self-image growing up was very difficult just because I had a very specific idea of what I should have been based on what other people kind of told me was was good that you know being perfect is unattainable it took a long time to learn to let that go Mm-hmm. But I feel pretty good about myself these days. I mean, there are things that I want to work on, but I feel like it's more like, well, there's behaviors that I need to work on because I know that they're enabling something that I'm not happy about within myself. So I need to kind of like work on that, mm-hmm. not just like physically, but mentally and emotionally. That critical voice, it seems like it played a, a really large role. Oh, um, huge role. Oh, no, no. Like it just, it, that it was constant, you know, and it was myself being critical based on other people's, you know, nobody was really telling me like, you're not pretty or like, you know, you're stupid. Nobody was really telling me that I was just assuming that because I was comparing myself to these, not even one specific person, but like different things about different people. I was like, well, they can do that and they can do that. It's like, I'm not even idolizing one person. I'm idolizing, I'm idolizing like a part of different people trying to become this amalgamation of perfection. And that oh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen. Um, <laughs> it's not realistic and learning to let that go is actually super good for you. So <laughs> no, it, it is. I had no idea. Mine, the ongoing running negative monologue I had about myself. I, I didn't know Ooh. that other people had that. And like mine went on for such a long time mm-hmm. um, and still going on. super hard to, to break that cycle. 
it's it's even hard to understand like or you know the root cause right so it typically comes from like a low self-esteem and like who's who provides you self-esteem it's your parents and you know and how did how did they do that what kind of how did they show you love um like for in our family food was love so you know um you know, if you can't show your emotion, you, here's a plate of scalloped potatoes. Um, and why don't you just go ahead and, you know, fill that hole deep inside of you with, yeah. you know. Are you sad? How, here's some ice cream. No. Are you so, happy? Here's yeah, some ice cream. Exactly. Instead of like, yeah, right. right. Um, so, the, yeah. So uh, I know that you talked to So uh, eating disorder binge eating disorder I I hate even saying this because I don't want it to be like a trigger warning for people but like I was always like super jealous of people that could be like anorexic because I was just like I'm too hungry to not eat and like you know like but like I had a really bad relationship with food that um I was still working on probably you know today or what you know it's it's a really really messed up thing like when you I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I feel like I interrupted you. I'm sorry if I did, no, but no, what no. you just said just hit me so hard because it's not just that anorexia was a problem uh, or, or eating disorders in general were a problem, uh, bulimia, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that, especially in, in those days, back in our day, they put such an emphasis on skinny. Like if it was like, okay, keep losing it, keep losing it, keep losing it. No, not like that. Uh, it's so yeah. they, they, like they wanted us to be just thin enough so we weren't sick and then not an ounce fatter than that and everybody just stay happy and it's it's impossible for anyone and I and I can't even imagine what it was I know how self-conscious I was as a, a, an adolescent boy in America at that time I cannot imagine for five seconds what it was like for uh, the the for y'all uh, with the beauty standards that uh, even up until just a few years ago were absolutely insane to think that you could just walk around like that all of the time. Yeah, I think it's still that way. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, like when, when we were, you know, coming up in, you know, our early teens, you know, like the heroin chic was in the unhealthy skinny was never goes away what you saw. And I mean, you even in ads these days, like, ads these days these girls are 14 years old like they're not even fully grown like swimsuit ads it's it's 14 to 16 year old girls it's not women so like trying as an adult woman to compare your body to a child is it's unrealistic you're not gonna like they're not even fully grown yet well and i think it's the way that um, I spent a lot of time like thinking about this because it was one of those things that I knew I needed to get over in order to be a good role model for like my son. You know, I'm, I was like really been working on like, like I said, pulling up those like rotten, the roots of the family tree that don't serve me. And, and like, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, ending that and, and in my family and moving forward. But like, even the way that women in my family, um, cause I had a lot of aunts, talk about themselves and talk about food and talk about how they look like that constant like when you have awareness of it like it's just something that like I still like my mother will in the same breath like complain about the weight she needs to lose lose over and over again and then ask me 13 times if I want something else to eat like like it's (laughs) 
came and then like shocker i actually like went to culinary school and like became a chef and like just to torture myself even more with like food and being around it and being in charge of it and it was a way to try and like gain control over that i understand now and then but it was like I don't know. It's one of those things that I think it's really important, I will say, and I know Karen touches on it a little bit in the book, but, and, and on the podcast, like people don't talk about the binge eating part, I think mm-hmm. enough, um, no, no. or they don't talk about the struggle people have. So like, like over, I don't want to, and... I was taught not to feel my feelings and to shut them <laughs> down. So I used to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. I could drink a bottle of whiskey. I could eat. I could. I also had power if I didn't eat because I could also sometimes do it, you know, and it's one of those things. But it's all about what am I doing because I hate myself and I don't want to feel my feelings, right? Like that's at the, the root cause. Like, <laughs> like yeah, you it's know? all rooted in I don't want to feel whatever I'm feeling. So let's let's eat something because that's a difference. That makes me feel happy. Or let me drink because then I just feel better or, you know, smoke a ton of cigarettes because then I'm just focusing on inhaling and exhaling very deeply and I'm not really feeling anything. Well, yeah, that's, what, like that. that's what my, I do still have a nicotine vape. From <laughs> I feel like Karen and Georgia would be very proud of us all right now because I feel like we're like 45 minutes in and just like them and their podcast we barely mentioned my favorite murder it's all about our mental health no ads though okay so i just want to explain that um the chapters of the book like if you listen to my favorite murder these women uh they they take turns telling each other about a true crime story you're fascinated they make jokes about it, but they also talk a lot about their own mental health and what they're going through. And they talk about sort of the psychology of the people in the story. It's very interesting, right? It's, um, and so the book is laid out, you know, one of the phrase that they say, say sexy, don't get murdered. is like this catchphrase that the whole little community, not little, gigantic murderino community <laughs> um, says, says, stay sexy, don't get murdered. When we sign off to each other on texts and things we'll put ssdgm and so this book is laid out <laughs> it's on my glasses it's on your glasses oh, that's, yeah. fantastic. that's awesome so i love okay. it so this book is kind of laid out on how they came to be who they are you know and they talk about therapy they talk about getting sober karen does they talk about um paying for their own shit and they talk about sort of women gaining their power because at some point and this is interesting i don't know exactly how they first start i feel like it comes up right at the beginning of the book and then they weave it throughout but at some point when they started doing the podcast they realized we don't know everything we uh are gonna mess up the dates the pronunciations of the names and we're gonna mess up the timeline and people are gonna start saying hey um, this is actually the real truth of that. And they were welcoming to it because they're like, oh, shit, thanks. Because the people just wanted to be involved. They weren't be- really being critical. But they realized that sometimes they were giving the impression that they were victim blaming. Like every once in a while they said, oh, gosh, that's never what we want to do. We never want to victim blame. Uh, and then they start sort of unpacking where that comes from. And it comes from... Like the fact that, like, why were you driving alone? 
why didn't you have, do, do, do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times mm -hmm. it's still so, I feel like I still hear it all the time. It's a, yeah. it, it truly is a, and I mean, this is, I don't want to get too academic, but it truly is a huge part of like forensic psychology and, and law enforcement. Like victimology is really all about what are the factors that went into why that person was victimized, right? Mm -hmm. And that's slightly different than victim, like that's a different thing, right? But people like that, you know, when you study crime- It's about crime, analyzing like their vulnerability. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, but just because you had those factors does not mean that you deserve it any more than, you know, you know what I mean? So like yeah. case in point, right? Like where, um, you know, a cop will say, okay, so this is a sex worker, right? Right there, right? That's a, that's a, that's a huge, well, that is a huge part that that's a factor, right? That's a risk factor. There's nothing wrong with it. And then when you look at the crime, that's a risk factor. And I think what's special about my favorite murder though, is that we are flipping that, right? And we're focusing more on that doesn't matter, it's really yeah. this, this, the crime is the problem, right? Like we prevent crime by raising better sons. <laughs> you don't, yeah, Megan and I talk crazy. about this all the time as mothers of boys. Don't drop them on his head. Like, okay, <laughs> but you, you, you can be, you don't want to be too weird about sex, but like you don't want to be too cool about sex, right? Because right. like you're, <laughs> you are a direct line to preventing serial killers, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, it's they like very serious. <laughs> Well, and that used to be a huge problem too, right? In the literature, mm -hmm. like it literally was, yeah, like mom, mom's the reason. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, ask Oedipus. Uh, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the, well, the, he didn't the prime example crimes. in the book is the Scarborough rapist uh, uh, in Toronto, when all these women are being in the same neighborhood, same cluster, very small area. Many people know this story. Sure, uh, sure. The police chief goes on to have a press conference about it. They can't find a guy. It's three weeks in. And he says, well, uh, you, ladies, let's just not be on that bus at one at nine, one in the morning. Uh, exactly. You put yourself at great risk there when you do that, because I can't catch a rapist. So I guess it's on you. Exactly. And and I mean, thankfully, the, the tide is really turning with that. But there's still like you'll still read in like the Bureau of Justice stat, like you'll read stuff and you're like, that sounds insane to me. Like, why are we even gathering the statistics? Like it, like we, it, perhaps it's just that, like you don't hear about um, like tiger, you know, attacks, <laughs> I don't know, like whatever they attack, like a deer, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that you don't like go into great detail about like the deer and how the deer was like too slow that day or, or dressed funny <laughs> oh or like, that do you know what I mean? Maybe it's, maybe it's because predators go after prey that they, yeah. they, they think that they can go after. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. maybe it's about a better. And for me, the whole, like, the thing I'm into is I want to know about that predator. I want to know about that, that monster, you know, a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but no victims need, ad, uh, they need advocates and support. They, they don't need to be, you know, rattled off as a stat. Yeah. <laughs> Walking home between these hours alone. I should be able to, Yeah, you know, yeah. picture that world. So I have two stories that I want to share. Um, one is kind of an overcoming murderino story. 
but I've talked about it on the podcast before, so hopefully most of the people here, I don't want to freak anybody out, but... Um, oh, is this a, the trigger warningable story? This is the trigger warning story right here, but okay. when I was in college... Sensitive was, listeners, be advised. When I was 21, when I was in college, there was this serial rapist in Charleston, South Carolina, and one night he climbed in my window and put a gun in my face and dragged me to the backyard, and, um, and I thought I was going to die, right? And what he was saying to me was, you're stupid, you left the window open, you let anybody in your house, you um, stay out too late. Like basically he was saying like, this is you, you were stupid and you invited this in, right? Then I lived, uh, they caught him, he was the father of a couple of kids under the age of five, three or four blocks away. Um, and so my first story is uh, there was this mindset choice at that point, right? And what triggered this story was Karen saying, you are in charge of the quality of your life. Do you remember this? When she's like, mm-hmm. you are in charge of the quality of your life. And I was thinking there was this pivotal moment where I realized Everybody was either going to be like, oh, my God, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be fucked up forever and ever? Do you want to move? Do you want to take a semester off of college? And I was like, no, this isn't my fucking fault. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a bad person. Like, I'm not going to live like a fucking Green Beret because that asshole, like, I lived. Do you know what I mean? Get the fuck out, you know? And But I realized right then, like, that decision had to be made because what the society was telling me is you're a victim. We all feel really terribly. It's okay. If you are thinking terrible thoughts about yourself and want to move houses and do you need a handgun? I mean, like the, what my, the messages were to me and I was just like, okay, you know, but also there was that victim blaming coming from the source. And, and I think about wow. that a lot of times and the choices I made after that time, because, uh, you know, I don't have to imagine something horrible happening because <laughs> we've all, I'm sure, experienced horrible things. So you don't really have to imagine it. What would I do in that situation? Because, you know, but what he was telling me was you brought this on, right? You left the window open. You and your roommates are stupid. You're always partying too late. I, of course, I can see you in your yard, shit like that, right? Do you feel like that maybe... Uh, society taught him that that was what it was because we've been saying things like that for so long about victims that did you think that played into his mindset about wanting to go commit these horrible crimes i did not i did not have any thoughts on this at that age Uh or since because my brain was just sort of like protecting itself Mm. and then i there was this cop in the area that was all about fucking catching this dude. And he was amazing. And he's one of the reasons why I like true crime. He sat in my apartment with this little notebook and he said the right things. And he kept updating us on things. And I remember I was on like going to a couple of Grateful Dead shows or, you know, I was somewhere just out kind of, my friends are entertaining me. They're making sure that there's people around me all the time, all this stuff. And when I came back, there's a voicemail from him must have been on one of those machines, I guess. And anyway, there was a high-speed chase overnight. 
and they chased the man. He, they ran him into a tree, and he was in the hospital, and he was, you know, they, they caught him. And he wanted to let me know because they were always letting me know that they were patrolling every other victim in that area in that serial case had either quit school or moved or gone back to their family or whatever. And I'm like, the show must go on. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm in college here. What the fuck? You know? So, um, it, so that whole case of that man working that case, I couldn't see that until years later. Do you know what I mean? In the moment, I was just like, I got to decide how I'm going to live my life right now. You know what I mean? But years later, I realized that it was like a case being worked. And there was this, the whole town was going crazy and people were afraid and everything. Leap ahead to yesterday. A friend of mine is talking about a friend that she knows that's very wealthy. And I'm not going to name any names. Uh, this wealthy friend is dating this man who uh, she broke up with. And the man came over to her house and um, smashed everything, destroyed everything, put cigarettes out on everything, put her jewelry in the toilet, shit on it. it. Crazy, incredible, destructive sprinkler systems, like it was horribly destructive. And the decisions that were made, because they can afford to not call the insurance, they can afford to not have it in the press, they don't have to totally suffer the consequences. But me and her friend were just like, this is the beginning of a story that ends badly, you know, like you must get away from this person. And then she tells us that he has a closed head injury from a terrible car accident. And we're like, this is a story that ends badly. This is where we step in and say, please change your locks and move out of state, you know? And I feel like I'm watching like a slow train crash, you know? I want to say first, thank you, Shelly, for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, that's a terrible thing. And I've known you a really long time. I've never he- heard you say that before. Oh, really? No. Oh, I but that's was- a, But that's okay. I mean, and for anyone listening, any response that anyone has to being a victim is okay. Yes. You can pretend it never happened. You can be totally afraid. You can do all kinds of things. Um, you can internalize it. You can externalize it. You can, you know, uh, you know. There's lots of ways that um, really strong people manage really, really terrible trauma. Whether it happens in a moment like random act of violence from a stranger, whether it's ongoing as a child, I mean, the decisions you make and the person you are when you're getting through that, like, you are just strong. So, uh, to take a totally different turn, but I'm just curious because I did this survey at uh, another group, and Georgia talks a lot about how she had her rebellious, thieving, meth age, like 13 to 15. And uh, she talks about all this random little crap that she stole. And I have several friends who had kind of a klepto phase between 12 and 17. <laughs> so I'm curious if anybody on the show had a klepto phase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Angie, step right up, Angie. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be, right? My sister, my younger sister and I, late 80s, early 90s, and my mom would have to work. We'd be kind of just running the, the streets of, of West Branch as young children because mom had to work and we didn't have anything to do. So we'd wander the, to the to Kmart and steal like bathing suits 
that was the the big one because you could very easily go into the dressing room with a stack of bathing suits, put them all on underneath your clothes, you know. So we'd steal we'd steal bathing suits mostly, jewelry, nail polish. Did you get caught? I don't ever remember getting caught. I think we got close to getting caught once. And my sister may have actually gotten caught once, but I never got caught. Allison? <laughs> I used to shoplift from Claire's and Meyer. I used to, mostly like makeup and jewelry. And like, I think I stole underwear, maybe some socks, like, because fun socks were really in and I didn't sure. have the $5 to spend. But no. yeah, I never stole anything like super huge. But yeah, like I never got caught, but I got pretty good at, I thought, managing to not get caught, which was like take a bunch of stuff start putting it back then pick up more then put it back then throw something in your purse then grab some more stuff then put like <laughs> just it's got a technique like the arm inside the coat thing lauren yeah so i i do want to say so it is a very normal thing for teenagers to like do like risk taking behavior right oh, like yeah. But like, I um, how many girls I know who are like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's always like Claire's and Target. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that I had some, uh, you know, we, we call it aces, right? I had some adverse child experiences that um, impacted me in some serious ways. And so I did um, all of the above. So whether it was... Stealing, drinking, drugs, smoking, sexual behavior. Like, I was just like, I'm going to put the pedal to the metal, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm going to do whatever I can <laughs> to feel something or not. And it certainly stopped. And it, I think it was, well, I actually don't know. I mean, I, who knows? I, I never got caught, but it was a, I think it, it, like, I didn't care if I did, right? It was just like, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. I don't I mean I probably wanted like someone to pay attention to me or something who knows I stole my best friend's strawberry lip gloss too and I told her about it a couple of years ago because I felt really bad still <laughs> the, like the lip smackers <laughs> was in like the little like small little pot thing yeah, little, yeah. 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 yeah she was like she just laughed and she was like okay I don't even know what you're talking about and I was like, well, I've carried this with me for like 30 plus years so well was she someone that you like envied in a way we were just best friends yeah um yeah me uh Sarah it was Sarah's lip gloss that I stole and uh Miranda we were just thick as thieves you know we were like sisters. yeah thick as thieves. We, yeah we well then that doesn't count know. you're like sister yeah you're allowed to steal your thieves, sister's yeah. stuff <laughs> you, you know you're going through some shit when you steal something from the person you love most in the I world know, and hang on to it for 32 years you were going through some stuff at the time <laughs> what a weird thing yeah it was yeah. like but eating then, you up though and you, it you was, had to come it's clean oh my god it was like it's so stupid that I was so <laughs> upset about it, but I, I had been, I was like, Oh my God, I got to tell Sarah. I stole her lip gloss when we were like, and I got to tell her right. I have to. But then later when we were like 12, we stole a bunch of pop from my mom. And then we, so I kind of, you know, we, it was good stuff. So. Thanks, one and no one. Yeah. I used to steal cigarettes from my mom. 
Do you guys have um, anything from the chapter, anything that you want to talk about? Because if not, I want to talk about the something like, oh shit, moments in therapy. Yeah, I have the, I, I, uh, I have to refresh my memory. I know I have, I have bought the hardcover of this book like four times and I've just given it away to people. Um, oh. And it's a very good audio. It's a, a great audio book. That's how I listen to it. But I, I actually have the table of contents on my like Kindle up on my computer here. Oh my gosh, but you can see all the pictures this way. Y'all, if you choose to do the audio book, it is Karen and Georgia reading it. And some yeah. live from stage. Yeah, that's it's really good. Also that's... featuring Paul Giamatti. And Paul Giamatti! <laughs> For friend, so friend of the pod. Sorry, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yes, friend yes. of the pod. Indeed. And Marty. Marty Hardstark does uh, oh, a little. There's a <laughs> Marty <laughs> sighting. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. There's so much more to talk about. It's, um, you know what I, I found very interesting because I know people who've lived in LA and I've temporarily lived in LA and I know people that live in LA right now and the descriptions of Karen's descriptions of, um, sort of like the drunk hot tub analogy. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. like the hot tub party so cool. And then it goes to like, Everybody fucking hates that hot tub. You know what I mean? The hot tub is lame. That whole section, the way they both talk about LA, I found very wonderful, right? The, because you lived there, didn't you, Allison? I did, yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you about the descriptions of LA because, you know, you were in entertainment. You, you know, I'm just curious how that struck you. It's um, LA. 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 <laughs> I still yeah. live in LA. You haven't had tacos <laughs> until you've eaten them in LA. Oh my god! I was just <laughs> thinking of that letter Kenny sketch, and I was going to call it out. <laughs> to be fair. Oh, to yeah, be yeah. fair. Oh my god! I love. Um, uh, sorry, I love that show so much. It's so great. Wait, um, what is it? I letter Kenny. Okay. I feel like it's like the town I grew up in. It's yeah, it's so about amazing. a small town in Canada, but like they have a fun like uh, there's an episode where they are making fun of LA and <laughs> and they do it's it pretty spot on LA yeah LA <laughs> it's so, a dry um, heat yeah. it is oh god okay it's... so tell me about living focus and LA um I thought it was pretty spot on um one of the things that they talk about is like Hollywood <laughs> and kind of how it's not this magical place like I think people see LA in the movies and think it's beautiful and there's stars everywhere and everybody's so tan and happy and oh it is fucking not like <laughs> I lived um so I lived I technically lived in Los Feliz right on the corner of Hollywood and Edgemont so I lived right on the border of Los Feliz and where like Holly, Hollywood, which is gross, just so you oh, all know. It is so gross. It is disgusting um, where Hollywood begins. So I would walk out of my apartment and turn right and it would be, you know, like beautiful houses and like, like where we lived. Like if I walked out of my apartment, I could see the Hollywood sign if I walked towards the hills, it was gorgeous. And, you know, I could see, you know, the house from Blade Runner, like I could see it, you know, like just Gosh. up the mountain and the Griffith Observatory was right there. 
but then I would turn left and I would see a person literally squat and shit in the street. Like (laughs) I also lived a couple of blocks from the Scientology center. Oh, so there. Wow. The celebrity center, or whatever. I I lived about a mile away from the celebrity center because it's right across the street from UCB, like the original UCB. Yeah, you can see it when you're driving through. It looks like a Mm -hmm. a castle. Like it's very noticeable. Yeah, yeah. Like you walk up and you're like, "Ooh, what's this?" And it's the celebrity center. And um, I never. It's it's guarded like a fort it's the safest place to park your car if you're gonna um go to ucb because okay. no crime <laughs> happens there at all because there's like guards walking around there's cameras everywhere like that's where i would that's where we would park if we ever went to ucb or like anything over there definitely does a shift as a guard in a right. mission impossible mask probably parking or possibly get recruited into like a Gigantic multi level fake hey man, life life is all about taking risks. Shelley. You know what? Yeah. The recruiters weren't over by the celebrity center. They were over by the one that I actually lived closer to because anytime I would walk, um, because I would periodically take the subway to work because I worked in downtown LA. Anytime I walked there, there were little recruiters handing out um, little flyers that would say, like, want to take a free personality test? I'm like, no, I don't want to join your cult. Like, leave me alone. Oh, that's um, how it started? Do you want to take a personality test? Yeah, well, that's how they start. They 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 all are dressed like, <laughs> I think Jeff Ford, bless his heart, he came to visit us once and he accidentally got pulled into the room oh and he, God. he got away, he got away, but, um, yeah, they're all dressed, they're all dressed like little flight, like flight attendants, um, or pilots or whatever. They have like a vest. Well, Cause it's like the sea, it's like the sea, uh, what's that? Some kind of maritime uniform, Navy uniform. Yeah. 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 Like that know. was like one part aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Was, Cause, uh, they worked on a ship or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was so oh, fucking scary. Like Elron is hotels.com commercial kind of thing, or a little bit. Yeah, no, like I mean, that's a big part of it. Like they had a mm-hmm. whole, you uh, you went and worked on a ship, and you were basically mm-hmm. that was like how you like went all over the world and did your recruiting. Yeah, um, and you signed a contract for like one billion years because it's yeah, because you're supposed to live forever if you get enough thetans. Or what? I don't What's a million know. years to forever. I'll <laughs> sign that right now. It was weird. It's fucking nuts. Uh, so there was that, but because Scientology doesn't believe in like psychology or psychiatry, a lot of mentally ill people stop taking their medication. And so there's actually a ton of former Scientologists who are now homeless and absolutely out of their minds. So there were a couple of people that were like regulars that I would see around. Um, one was this lady who she would write like these insane ramblings um out on um, pieces of paper and then she would, mm-hmm, yeah she, yeah exactly and she would make a bunch of copies and then post them all around the neighborhood so there was that and then there was like um a homeless encampment because in la you actually um are allowed to have a tent on the street at night and so like once a month the police would be like you guys gotta fucking move so they would just move to like different corners mm. and they'd hose the street down because it smells like shit like it smells fucking terrible so there would be like homeless encampments all over and that was kind of scary just because when people aren't in control of their own minds you know you don't know what to expect when someone's kind of not in control of what's going on with them because they're so mentally ill it, it could be kind of scary 
um and then there were also the people who were like there was a lady who lived around our neighborhood somewhere who she would get arrested at least once a week for something just totally nuts um one week she was walking down the street in a blazer and nothing else <clears throat> just a blazer I was like, I just saw her. I've done it. It was nuts. Like she, I saw so many people take shits on the street. Mike and I, Mike and I used to play a game. Sorry. I, I, there is nothing more disturbing than seeing a grown human being (laughs) take a shit in public. I, I truly like, I've seen it a number of times now in my life and either in Chicago or New Orleans or whatever. And you're just like, wow, what the fuck is happening? What happens to you that you are like, I don't care. Now you're there though. I mean, it's so sad. It's like the ultimate, like, I don't care. (laughs) One scenario. You're a girl who eats a lot of fiber. You're out running. <laughs> there's no gas stations. It happens. <laughs> no, it all... happened. It happened to me. When did this happen, Shelly? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, I will tell you directly about when I, I shit in public. Uh, I was on vacation with my family in Hawaii. And sometimes, you know, you travel, you have tummy troubles or whatever. So it's either like, there's nothing going on or there's too much. That's just the... <laughs> My life, right? We were at the condo, and then we went to this, like, gorgeous hotel that we were... I don't even want to say it, because I, I'm a member of this hotel. <laughs> like, I don't want to take it back and trace that shit to me. But, um, so we were walking back to the car, and, like, they were... Construction was going on. So, have you ever gotten, like, lost in a hotel before? You know, like, the... Es- and, like, it was, like, one of those where it was, like, there was a detour, but it wasn't marked. And, like, you couldn't go down the escalator. So, you had to go through all these hallways to try and figure out how to get back to the door. And I went to go look for a bathroom. And my family's out front waiting for me. I get lost. It's like I'm running through the Shining Hotel. Like, I was oh, like, yeah, oh, what's happening? Where's the public? And I had to just literally walk outside walk outside like where the nice landscaping is and the rocks you know like ground level of a hotel you walk out and it's going to the pool just right there just a big <laughs> i could i was going to go in my pants i understand and I used to play a game it happened so fast and then i just uh went right back inside and ran away <laughs> yeah you gotta run ran away when away. that happens yeah. and that's that's usually what happened when we would see it mike and i used to play a game <laughs> called who made that poop <laughs> oh oh did you get to like like figure out who like the like well the, normally the it was, like, was it was it an animal because we also lived so close to the the griffith observatory in the mountains there that like coyotes would come down and like um you know our other wildlife would come like nothing like a cougar or anything but like yeah we would see coyotes pretty Except regularly that 50 year old lady was in the alley and <laughs> yeah. so we'd have to look at it and be like no that's a person like or no like that's definitely animal shit or like no that's a person took a shit there who's scat is that it's a fun game yep it is a fun like they hand it to you at lax when you get off just so you know you're gonna spend a lot of your time talking about shit more than once i had to pull mike away from my wall or bench that had poop smeared on it because oh i'd be like poop 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 and he's like yeah. where is it? and he's looking on the ground and i'm like that's not where it is no no <laughs> don't touch that wall Ooh. there is poop on it so leave. hollywood is disgusting um 
but like the rest of California is very nice. Like Glendale, Burbank area is kind of like suburbs. Um, it still has, you know, elitist people, but right. honestly, everywhere does. There's always someone who thinks they're better than everybody else. And like, That's we went up to San Francisco and it was gorgeous. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to hate on California as a state. It is beautiful. But Hollywood is fucking gross. And don't live there. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, too, like, I mean, statistically, being mentally ill does not mean you're going to be, like, violent, right? Like, no, that's um, correct. But, but there is something to be said about, like, especially you said you work downtown, like, Skid mm-hmm. Row, like, is incredibly violent. Very close. Yes. And, and so it's not just about mental illness, but it's also about people that are in active addiction or have all kinds of other problems. Yeah. That, and it there's it, there's terrible, terrible stuff. And the system is just broken because there's ways that we can inter intercede and protect people. There's actually another really mm-hmm. great podcast called LA Not So Confidential. And it's about two forensic psychologists that actually work actively in Los Angeles. And like mm-hmm. one of them, they have some like really cool stuff where like, it's like, you know, a clinical psychologist partners with the police officer and they actually go and address all of those like mental health concerns. Like if someone, some yeah. police officer took the call all right, Shelly's on the street again, just wearing a blazer. Pretty sure she just took a shit in the street. You know, like like someone calls so that much, in and they would yeah. follow up because, and to connect the <laughs> dots, like there's like, you know, you hear about like 5150, but there's plenty of ways that you can get resources and help. Uh-huh. Um, there is like a lot. when you're you're ill and so it's it's just it's kind of crazy you know it's not I want to say crazy it's it's just there is a lot of resources but it's really hard to actually get someone like committed specifically or, to, or like yeah. it's you have or to like Britney Spears danger. right like yeah. like like even people that are doing things that we would consider to be like absolutely bananas like it, it takes a lot to actually to be like if you're not hurting anyone or hurting yourself like physically there's really nothing right. that they can do. And that's really unfortunate because it ends up like, you know, there was a guy who lived in our building who was mentally ill, who ended up becoming homeless because he, it's not that he didn't have money. He just was so sick. He couldn't remember to pay his rent. So it's like, if someone and had that qualified for a conservatorship, like if you can't yes. take care of yourself, but it, it just, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. If someone had intervened, it would have been completely different. Um, so yeah, I feel like Georgia and Karen's <laughs> descriptions of LA were pretty spot on. Like it definitely seems like this beautiful place and yeah, there are nice areas. Like there are, you know, like Melrose is cool that there are some pretty dope things there. Like it's, I can see why people get caught up in feeling like it's magic, but it's also gross. And full of broken dreams. Well, broken dreams, right? Like you go there because you want to be something, and then it's just, it's so much rejection. There's 10,000 other people there who are just as talented as you are. So, yeah. It's, it's awful. What were you, what were you doing there, if I may ask? So, Mike and I moved out there um, because Mike was going to um, try to become a writer out there. And um, I, was doing comedy as well um but got super sad because because <laughs> la is hard to live in um mm-hmm. so i don't really do too much um because i was just going through a pretty major depressive episode the entire time um but he got really close a couple of times 
but it's sometimes it's just about who you know and that's kind of what ended up happening each time was someone more famous came along and kind of slid in and you know got the golden apple um, you did a lot of packets <laughs> yes <laughs> it it's reject like that kind of and I'm sorry that you went through all of that. That's really hard. But yeah. it's really brave, too, to, like, do that. I, I, you know, and I don't mean that in a kind like, it's, you know, like, that, no, a lot I of mean, people, like, you you know, like, you I'm super glad that we did you know? it. You know, like, yeah. I've, I don't regret going there. I feel like, if anything, I learned a lot about myself and what I really want. And honestly, I suggest everyone move away from their hometown. Um, you don't necessarily have to move away from like move all the way across the country, but, you know, experience something different. I think you'll learn a lot about yourself. And I think my husband and I learned a lot about each other and our relationship and it made us better for each other and just better people. And it's, you know it was... so much about human shit. <laughs> yeah, I know Look, so I was much just about say, and If you, you do want to go ahead and travel all the way across country and you're real into watching humans poop on sidewalks. Yeah, if you're Hollywood a fecal celiac, so. <laughs> Hollywood is your place. Yeah. Also, they they really do, and I hate to be this person, but they really do have the best tacos. Like we lived near this taco stand that was like a block away, and it was the most amazing, authentic Mexican food I've ever had in my life, and I really miss it. Wow. <laughs> like so, good. way to hit all the tropes. I know. It's because there's such LA. a strong um, Hispanic community there because there's yes. you know so many people come over from from Mexico, mm-hmm. and oh my god, like. <sighs> They just taught me what real tacos were, and I miss the it. The only reason I want so to go much. to LA is the taco trucks. That's it. That's, if the sun sets, the taco trucks, I'm out of there. I'm, I'll be in Vegas. <laughs> See, we can also talk about all the bad things because, like, the traffic in LA, like, it's not a joke either. Like, we no, five the to traffic. The 10, like, it is super terrible. <laughs> yeah, and it's laid out terribly. Um, so there's the section. Uh, I can't remember which chapter it's in, but where Karen talks about um, her mom and how her mom has um, or had, um, she's since passed away, um, has early, had early onset Alzheimer's. Um, And I bawled pretty much the entire time I was reading that because um, my mom uh, has been also diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. Oh, Allison. Yeah. So it was nice to read about someone who was having the same feelings that I have like <clears throat> you know you're she she just said it in a way that I was like okay I'm not the only one who gets mad about it sometimes you know it's it's not always a sad thing sometimes it's an angry thing and yeah you know sometimes you can't really describe it to anybody sometimes you just wish it was over um and it meant a lot to me to read that and know that it it sucks it's awful but it's you're not the only one you're not alone and the way that i'm feeling is normal so i feel like if anyone is going through something like that definitely read that chapter because mm-hmm. it it made me feel a lot better about everything that's been going on with us for the past few years do you listen i'm first of all i'm so sorry to hear that 
I yeah. my grand my grandmother passed away um from that and but not mother. I mean I I mean it's probably coming. Look, it's super hereditary. <laughs> it's probably coming from me too. But um, oh yeah, same here. I'm like you know, uh, mother's but, side. Damn it. I know. Oh, smart brains. But man, you're gonna be full of Swiss cheese. Oh, um, yeah. it hurt. Did you listen to the other podcast? The um, do you need a ride? with Chris Fairbanks that Karen does. No, I haven't listened to that so one. So they, uh, Chris is another comedian who's very funny. I actually mm-hmm. have like the little sticker right oh, here. Oh, nice, nice, oh. yeah. So after like my grandmother like passed away, they talk about it a lot because uh, Chris's mm-hmm. mother also passed away from this. So they talk oh. a lot about it in some of the early episodes because they okay. had this podcast way before my favorite murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had it for a while. And so when they, ca- like those stickers were for like, you know, like, alzheimer awareness or whatever fundraising i bought like a hundred of them because mm-hmm. i was just like emotionally Aww. purchasing them <laughs> but so if you ever, ever oh yeah no but it's another okay. if, if you want to hear other people talk about it she 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 they talk about it quite a bit lungs were this karen kilgariff love fest uh <laughs> i love karen kilgariff okay <laughs> like she's the best uh like her writing though like this is the first time i've I mean, you get a sense for what her writing is. I, I didn't watch Baskets. I haven't yet. I will. That's so good. I'm an Ellen fan. I wasn't a Rosie watcher. Uh, I will say Karen so would hate us complimenting things. her right now so much. Love, she would. She'd be like, stop it. Don't Karen. talk about it. You get a sense of her stuff because just of the way she speaks. And But to see her write it down uh, and, and to be descriptive. And what really hit me was the Latchkey Kid stuff. Uh, I you know, I went through all of that uh, to varying degrees of being left alone at home uh, to basically care for my two younger brothers at a horribly irresponsible young age. Uh, <laughs> and there's the there's the moment where a man who's just trying to drop off some wood at their house rings the doorbell and they're they're home alone, uh, Karen and her older sister, and they go into this crazy stealth mode and. Laura behaves like a ninja and he finally is going away and they, they realize they may not get murdered after all. And I, I just want to read this passage because she just sums it all up and then reminds you that these are children in such a fun way. Uh, feel the fear recede further. Follow your sister as she slowly sits up and lifts the window shade to make sure he's gone. See that he is gone. Watch as your sister turns and looks at you, half scared, half thrilled. Stare at her in frazzled silence. See her make a weird face that you can't read. Then hear your sister fart. Laugh in surprise. Hear the fart continue. Realize (laughs) that it is not a short toot, but the longest, trumpetiest, most air-filled fart you've ever heard. Laugh harder almost die <laughs> stare in amazement as it continues <laughs> begin to scream laugh watch as she begins to laugh listen as her fart begins to poot out along with her laughter go insane laugh so hard you feel like you're going to stop breathing realize that nothing funnier has ever happened or ever will happen <laughs> that's i mean that's to me, uh, that summed up my childhood, her childhood, everybody's childhood, uh, uh, and just and it's just great how they how she just breaks that night down, like twenty minute segment at a time. It goes oh, into this yeah. amazing detail of how they fight, and then come together, and then just immediately start fighting again when it's all said and done. It's I don't know. I just think she's brilliant. 
That unsupervised 80s childhood that she described, <laughs> I kept getting this picture of like three things happening in one day. Me and my brothers were, uh, we had this new super fast ceiling fan and we were, oh, no. we were throwing popsicles into it. <laughs> Bless your heart, Shelly. Like a game, like, watch this. <laughs> you know? What are they, the then, bottom pops? What, what, what kind of pops? Like a, just like a silver, like, popsicle. Just a straight silver? up? No. Silver? I was like, what kind of vampire shit's that? It helps the mosquitoes. It's Southern Remedy. <laughs> silver. We just put it in there. Plasma sickles. It was weird. It's a weird mm -hmm. town. Small town. It's fine. Um, no, okay, so then we also had this little poodle, and we put an ankle weight on it, and then it would always chase this little ball, and we had these slippery floors, so we would throw the ball down the hallway, and the dog would chase it and try to turn the corner, but it had a little ankle weight on it, so it would just spin and spin, and spin until it hit the wall. That was the other thing. And then when we knew... That my mom was supposed to be home in like 20 minutes. My oldest oh, yeah. brother would be like, 20 minutes. And we would all get up and start going crazy, like sweeping and tucking things in and putting things in her beds and like putting the toilet paper on and like trying to be cool. Like we'd been fine all day. <laughs> it was just been like fucking chaos. And all of a sudden we're like, wait. Like we were always trying to clean up after the party so that our <laughs> Since I was like born, I think. Yeah, I was always under the yeah. firm belief that the cat in the hat would show up and just clean up real quick, miraculously, <laughs> before the parents like got through the open door of the house. But that never actually worked, and I, I should never have relied on it in retrospect. The, the, yeah. the, the 80s childhood stuff that Karen talks about is so endearing. Mm -hmm. And her mother, the picture of her mother is so endearing. And so I don't want to, we have just a couple of minutes, but I don't want to leave without saying that how endearing their friendship is. Because one of the kind of through lines of the book is that them, they're telling their stories because those stories tell you how they came to be more like authentically themselves, right? They had to shed things and address things and go through therapy to start being in more alignment with who they really were and stop doing the bullshit that didn't serve them. And then that is how they came to know each other. And that's one of the stories you hear a lot is when some people start getting really into alignment, that's when they start meeting the right people mm. and, you know, good things start happening because they're sort of in the right vibration. And so when Georgia and Karen met, they both really wanted to, you know, be truer to themselves. And that was a weird thing to be someone who likes to talk about murder all day was a weird thing and they became friends being really vulnerable with, with each other because they both just read Brene Brown's Daring Greatly and they were being like brave and honest with each other with their clutch five system which is great and then they were also had this common theme of loving true crime like legitimately loving it enough to want to talk about it all the time and that story is so great and inspiring and you know, to see, to see like, yes, that's how it should work. When you're doing what you were meant to do, you start meeting the right people. And that's going to be, that's going to be me and you, Shelly. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Right. Love, girl. <laughs> I know. Yay. You know, 
It yeah. is the one of the most impressive things about because I was similar to you, Allison. I think like episode thirty or something. Or I remember like I I am a lot like Karen in many ways. I remember Megan telling me, and I normally listen to what Megan like. I, she knows me yes, very well, and I was like, "Quit telling me what to do about this podcast." Like it was one of those things. I was like, "Oh, I'll get to it." Like, "Oh, stop." All right, like, but I, I mean, it absolutely like embodies me one hundred percent. But the fact that they, as friends, decided to go to therapy, yeah, is incredibly impressive to me yeah. because you do grow and become a better person. I know, like. I will be the first to um, admit that I can be an asshole. You know, like you know, like you're like I have done some things that are wrong, but like even being able to admit you're wrong is like a big step, right? Like like when you are kind of <laughs> in that sort of mindset, and then like saying like it's okay, and I want to get better at some of these things. I want to get better at interpersonal communication, or I want to be a better friend. I want to be true to myself. Like, I want, like, I just respected so much that they wanted to keep the integrity of their friendship um, and their business partnership and, like, went to, ther like, go to therapy. Like, that's so incredibly impressive. Oh, yeah. They're, they're walking their talk. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like they... Uh, that's one of the reasons I, I love the two of them. Uh, I'm so just drawn to just listening to them talk to each other about whatever, even things I'm frankly not even remotely interested in. I'm interested in listening to their thoughts on it because they're such real, frank, get to the source of it or get the fuck out of here uh, kind yeah. of people. And I and I I love that. I've just I've just been over here kind of quietly living that in my own way and I didn't really know how to what to call that or what to do with it or any of that shit so to uh people have been recommending the podcast to me for such a long time and I finally just ran out of other stuff one day frankly at work and I was like well let's give these gals a shot uh, it was very late it was so it have been uh, sometime in 2018 when I started in uh, and then just immediately went back to episode one and ran them through. Uh, just, there's so much fun to listen to. And if you have, like, I, I used to have a hang up about true crime. And now I understand that's because I didn't know how to process it. Uh, and it's okay to laugh about how crazy and fucked up life is. Because if you don't, you're going to go absolutely batshit nuts yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a coping mechanism, frankly. I mean, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I have to be able to laugh at something or I can't really process it. And there was no way for me to get behind laughing at true crime prior to this beyond a really good like detective novel with a witty author. I think that they make, I, I think Allison, you said it best in the beginning, right? Like they make people feel seen. Um, yes. Like they're so vulnerable about talking about a lot of hard things. Like, I don't think people talk about, I, I mean, I'm sure they do certainly, but like, I, I mean, I'm so impressed, too. Like, just the other day, I saw on Georgia's Instagram, right? Like, she went to, like, tr she called it, like, trauma summer camp. Like, yeah. she, you know, it's like, she, so, like, you know, she checked herself into, I don't know, right? Like, but, like, yeah, she wasn't I need to specific. go. Yeah, but it was, like, I need to go in in treatment, and that's, and that's what I'm going to do, right? Because, like, mm -hmm. and I... 
and just talking about so many of those things or she's really honest about talking about like struggling with like alcohol and like quitting and not quitting and I have identified with that kind of stuff for a long time like during the course of listening to this podcast I like quit for three years and then started socially like and it's like all of those different sorts of things I I really appreciate that and because no it's like going back to like fucking politeness like you were never allowed in my family to talk about real stuff. Like you could never talk about how you were hurting or suffering or what's wrong with you. Like, no, absolutely not. No, that's, that's not real. And uh, so I think that I really, that, that kind of being so honest about that kind of stuff is, um, I, I truly think, and there's a little bit in like the academic literature, but like, like people really are studying how this can be a remedy for like, you know, like mental health conditions, like the idea that this helps people manage anxiety or like being a part of a community such as this can help like normalize and give people better um, impressions yeah. about seeking treatment. Like, I think that they will really be a dot on the map of like, making opening the door for people to to take care of themselves in this kind of way i think that um it's heroic for people to actually like say like oh yeah i do fucking matter <laughs> I, should, I can talk to somebody about this actually like yeah. you know like it's incredible i think yeah good job ladies good job karen and georgia Fucking hooray for Karen and Georgia. I know. I feel like I owe them a lot. I mean, I do. I owe them a lot. I mean, I literally, like, changed my whole life. Um, a really nice thank you letter. Yeah, for real. Why they don't need I to do? hear it. They get plenty of happy. They get plenty of thank you letters. Oh, they're just sitting around <laughs> waiting for you. Look, look, let's stop talking. That's enough about them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thank you guys so, so much. I feel like we could keep going. It's not four hours, folks. <laughs> it was really nice to meet you guys that I haven't met yet. All I know is oh I, I am Elvis and I want a cookie. So That's all I know. I, I I wonder if I could get stretched to I could actually probably get my rush of my cat, she would probably do it, but his most meowing. Oh no, Stretch is doing the thing. He's outside. He was scratching. So there's like a door right here. So like whenever I'm in a Zoom meeting, then he like scratches to go out and then he'll scratch to come back in and out and in and out but yes that was the little dachshund you saw oh my He's god a covid baby oh, Angie, are you still on that salami girl <laughs> i got two pieces left <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there yay okay oh, good thanks so much for talking about the book with me you guys and the last thing i want to say is that now i want to read ray Bray. like i haven't read the Martian Chronicles. I haven't read Zen and the Art of Writing. I haven't read those. So oh. Talk about either of those because oh. I was inspired by that chapter. Yeah, let's do it. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks again for listening. Our guests today were my co-producer, Angie Ammon. Please follow her at P-O-L-L-E-E-P-O-P and check out her art at Bone Jackie's. Paul Gordon, who recommended the book and also edited the program today for editing services, direct message Paul at to the window to the Paul with the number twos. (laughs) 
Uh, Allison Hood, who also hosts a podcast with her husband, Mike Bobbitt, called You Made Me Watch, and Lauren Bridges-Santana, who was one of the people who inspired me to be a murderino. Thanks, everybody.